The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Tonight's talk is joy, but joy is one of the factors of awakening, one of the seven factors of awakening. And as you'll see today, the joy factor is right in the middle. There's three on one side and three on the other. And uh, it's the pivot uh, in the practice. Something begins happening in the practice when joy begins to arise as a transition. And uh, the practice, meditation practice, the practice of Buddhism, begins to take a life of its, I don't know if life of its own is the right word, but begins having certain momentum that's not necessarily our effort anymore that comes when joy begins to arise. As an introduction to this topic of joy, I want to talk about first, very briefly, about suffering. And now uh, I want to say something that I hope is memorable about suffering. So uh, Buddhism is about alleviating suffering, bringing suffering to an end. So what you don't want to do, if you can avoid it, is suffer because of Buddhism. (laughs) And there's many ways of suffering because of Buddhism. Uh, We can uh, strive with great expectation and promise to get enlightened, you know, by by the 7th of March. I thought it was the 14th. (laughs) (laughs) We can um, measure ourselves against some ideal. We can compare ourselves to others. We can... Uh, have standards of all kinds of ideals of how we're supposed to be and we don't measure up to it. Um, There's all kinds of ways that um, we can trip ourselves up and suffer quite a bit. We have to feel like we have to sacrifice ourselves, give ourselves up for the sake of Buddhism. Buddhism has a great great authority and you're supposed to give in to this great big father figure of Buddhism or something and and, um, and you, you you don't really count somehow and you have to give up your something as a result. But you want to be very careful when you encounter Buddhism just to uh, watch how you relate to the values, the ideals, the practices, the goals that Buddhism has and and be careful you don't suffer because of it. Because if you're going west, don't go east first, you know, more or less, right? Um, So you want to, um, to be careful about that. In the time of the Buddha, <clears throat> uh, the ancient te- Buddhist texts, at least the people you know writing about themselves, uh, wrote that um, uh, the Buddhist community, the monastic community, was known for being joyful, and also known for being calm and peaceful. The um, and you know they claimed that the religious other religious groups they bickered, they fought, they were disrespectful to the teachers. They were you know kind of grumpy or, you know, kind of too serious or something. But uh, the Buddhists were uh, somehow were, were kind of peacefully joyful and it was inspiring for other people to see this kind of joy. Joy is an important part of practice and uh, it belongs to a family of emotional states which are uh, celebrated, championed um, as being part of the path. Things, so joy is one, happiness is another, delight, gladness. Um, um, 
um, I don't know what other English words to use. Uh, there's um, a list of five kinds of joy, which I think get their own unique words in Pali, but in English we use the word joy to describe each of them. So there is minor joy, momentary joy, um, cascading joy, um, transporting joy, and suffusing joy. Isn't that nice? And that, uh, these are all flavors of joy. You know, it can just make a very small amount of joy. Joy can come in bursts, just suddenly, boom, you know. And it can come as, um, just feels like it's just a pouring down of joy. There's lots of energy and movement in it. It can come as kind of a lifting up and feeling like you're flying. You're very light. You're being carried off and kind of, and it can just kind of spread out and kind of suffuse your whole body, permeate your body with a feeling of joy. All your cells have it. That's nice. All these kinds of joy. There are um, also discussions about the various things that bring joy. Uh, not to give any particular order to them, perhaps too much, but uh, one form of joy that uh, is meaningful for me. And I think it comes, hopefully, with some f- familiarity with practice and and, uh, and kind of recognizing yourself some of the potential we have. Um, is joy when we have the kind of joy that comes or inspiration that comes when uh, there's a lot of confidence in uh, what uh, they call the three treasures confidence in the enlightenment of the Buddha not the Buddha necessarily but that the Buddha was awakened a confidence in the Dharma in the teachings the practices the qualities of heart that get awakened and uh, confidence in the community of people who practice and for the first one, the Buddha, I think, is probably, for me, is the maybe, I don't know if it's most important, but it's very important. Um, and, um, you know, we have various abstract words for, you know, to represent the Buddha. We have the word enlightenment, uh, to be, uh, he's the awakened one. And they're somewhat abstract. And the danger of abstract words is people don't know what we're talking about, but it sounds good. And then uh, people are trying to measure themselves up against it whatever it is. And, uh, and they have all kinds of kind of strange ideas about those people who have it. But they're not sure what it, it, what it is. But it must be great. And it must be, you know, someone has it. And, uh, and I've seen Buddhist communities uh, have very um, uh, 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 mysterious kinds of like a mystery, what it is. But if you're in the know, you know it. But you don't want to admit that you don't know it. That's like, you know, that's not, you know, not cool, right? So, you, so everybody nods and pretends they know. Oh, the it. Um, so, you know, that's, that's uh, you know, one of the other ways to suffer around Buddhism. So, uh, so the words enlightenment and awake, you know, being awake is um, a realization. They're all kind of abstract and really they deserve to be questioned. What do you mean by that? What is that? So uh, I'll offer you some other words that kind of are maybe idiosyncratic to me a little bit, I mean, kind of words that I like. But I like them because they speak more to something visceral, something that I can feel like I can touch and feel, that a feeling, internal feeling that comes. And that uh, the Buddha represents uh, a capacity uh, to have a very clean sense of contentment and peace inside, kind of in the chest and the heart a very settled, peaceful sense of purity or cleanliness. Um, uh, and that, you know, is a qualities you can, you can, rather than realization, what is that? But 
to point to actual qualities that you can taste and feel, I think uh, maybe is uh, sometimes more meaningful. And I've had experiences of uh, very deep peace, very deep sense of being very clean on the inside, very kind of, the word pure is a little bit, people don't like that so much because of the connotations of pure, but maybe clean works better. Just feeling kind of really clean inside. It's very simple, very peaceful, very contented, very uh, open. And, uh, and, those, and those experiences I've had uh, come with, have come with me in the sense that um, this could be done much more thoroughly, much more fully. And, uh, and that's inspiring to have that as a possibility. The example which I give regularly is, that I, I don't know, I should retire it, but I'll do it maybe at least one more time. Is um, it comes from when we were in Portola Valley? We used to have, uh, there was a community center that's now been torn torn down in Portola Valley, and uh, we used to rent rent on Sunday mornings. And uh, it was kind of a I don't know auditorium, and um, we would sit on the linoleum floor. There's you know one foot square linoleum pl- uh, um, uh, tiles, and uh, we would come in Sunday morning to do our sitting. And sometimes uh, they'd had a party there the night before, but no one had cleaned up. And so uh, there must have been all kinds of drinks. I don't know what kind of drinks, but the floor would be sticky. And, you know, hadn't been swept. And, you know, it was kind of... And so I got this idea that what if this linoleum floor and auditorium wasn't cleaned for 500 years? And the dust and the grime and the popcorn and the pizza and the beer and, you know, it all kind of build over time. And people would dance on it and step on it and walk on it, you know, and it would build and build and get really hard. And, and maybe even because, you know, maybe get, they polish it even, you know, the top of it. You know. And it'd be, you know, many feet deep after a while. And, uh, and people would forget there was linoleum floor in the bottom. And then someone kind of dug around in the Portola Valley you know, City Hall records, and they found an old record that said linoleum floor. And the person went around to the other people in the city council and said, there's a linoleum floor down there. No, you've got to be kidding. There's no linoleum floor. They probably haven't used linoleum with asbestos in it for, you know, 500 years. So no one believes it. No, it's not there. And so, no, but it says here, and I'm going to find out for myself, so the person starts taking a jackhammer or something and dynamite or whatever to, to get through that really hard <laughs> junk. It's really hard. It's a lot of hard work and people kind of dismiss him, that person, why, you know, you shouldn't bother and you must be a fool. It can't be anything down there. But the person really perseveres. It takes a long time. It's so hard. You know, you know beer and popcorn and stuff, they get hard. And, um, and so finally the person makes it down to the linoleum floor and is able to clean one square foot to the linoleum. You see, wow, look, you see, it's there. It's really there. And, and it's a beautiful linoleum. And, uh, and so that person now knows, everyone who sees that says, now I have confidence that the whole floor is linoleum, not just that one square foot. Because I know, this, I know that square foot, I know it's possible to do the rest of it now. Um, so that's kind of how I feel. You know, so I feel like I've kind of touched a little... <laughs> not, that, not that often that enlightenment gets... Enlightenment gets likened to linoleum floor, but... And, um, and 
somehow I wish it stayed in this room, but you know, this audio dharma thing kind of changes that. <laughs> you get the idea, I hope. You know, so, so the idea of this potential and the Buddha representing, you know, this fully clean floor, um, this the full potential, you know, inspires me. That kind of idea, and it brings me actually a lot of joy. To, to, to I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's completely po- possible for anyone to clean the f- entire floor, but the idea that that's the direction we're going, and I feel so lucky and so happy that that to be on this path. So this idea of being inspired by this possibility. So that's one form of joy. The other form of joy, or it's actually called happiness, not joy, technically in the text, and that is to uh, be happy because you're. Your, your behavior is blameless. To have blameless behavior. So basically your ethics are good. So no matter, you don't have, you're not embarrassed when you go walk in. Uh, the ancient texts say you can go into any assembly and feel that you're blameless. And there's a joy of that. Someone can criticize you for something, but you know you haven't done it because you have blameless activity. And that takes a lot of care. Care with your speech, care with your, what you do, so that uh, you, know, you can feel good about whatever you've done and don't, doesn't matter if someone knows what you what you've been up to because you feel good about it. It's good stuff. Uh, there's a kind of a joy that's called contentment, and to learn to be contented in the right way. Um, and and uh, in Buddhism, you, and it's important in Buddhism to also learn how to be discontented. And um, the the contentment is to be contented with the basic uh, stuff that supports supports your life. Uh, be contented with, you know, so basically, you know, not kind of be greedy for more things, bigger houses, bigger cars, bigger clothes, and better clothes, um, uh, you know, to, um, you know, there's all these things that people want, you know, or they want greedy for status, greedy, greedy, greedy for experiences, but uh, there's a health, very healthy and beautiful kind of contentment, to be content with what you have, um, and if, you, if it's enough, be content. Be, um, be content, and it's hard to be content sometimes if the people ar- around you are not. And, and uh, you know, and I was uh, in the early '90s. I was very content with my old car, and then driving around when I lived in San Francisco. And um, but then I moved down to the peninsula, and I st- was teaching in Palo Alto, our sitting group there, and I was driving my old car in Palo Alto. And it took me a year or two to realize that. It seemed like I had the oldest car in Palo Alto. <laughs> when I lived in San Francisco, it was, you know, the neighborhood I fit, I, neighborhood I lived in, it was like, you know, it was a pretty nice car. <laughs> so I, I, I saw going through my mind uh, thoughts of, you know, I should get a new car. And I could see, I saw, I could see there was the comparative thinking in comparison to where I was living. So this, you know, the way that you know we're influenced by our environment, so we're not content, is quite powerful. Especially for those of us living in this area here, it's you know there's so much wealth; it's phenomenal to compare ourselves to. So to be contented, and then the, the healthy discontent is to be um, to have discontent about suffering. So if you're suffering, don't just uh, you know endure it. You know, you just endure it. You know, or you're too embarrassed to do anything about it, or it's just too much work, or you're lazy, you know, too lazy to do anything about it, or you have other more important things to do. 
then address your suffering. Um, you know, you have, I don't know, recreational experiences to have and all kinds. But to be discontented with suffering so that you do something about it is important. So two kinds of, the kind of di- contentment brings joy, a kind of discontent can also bring joy if you feel discontented with your suffering but you're inspired that there's something you can do about it. So the joy of having the practice. So that's another kind of uh, joy, the joy of practicing. And I feel like I've had a lot of that. I just feel so delighted uh, that I am so lucky uh, that I, ha- I have a practice I can do, or that I do do. And um, it's been so, so very meaningful for my life. I can't imagine uh, my life without it. The, um, as a factor of awakening, it has a particular flavor, the joy. And, it's, um, and, and here we're talking about a transition. So there's seven factors of awakening. The first three are mindfulness, invest, uh, investigation, and energy or effort. The last three are tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. And the middle point, those, is joy. And it's a kind of joy that goes between the first three and the last three. And so, coming out of the first three, it comes out of uh, having some strength of mindfulness, some strength to be really present in your present moment experience. So you're not distracted a lot. You're not wandering off in the mind. Monkey mind is there, and you're wandering off in the past and the future and fantasies and in desires. But you're settled enough in your mind that you can really kind of start noticing what's happening here and now. In such a way, you really feel like you're here for your experience. And then investigation is that you're interested and curious of what that experience is. You're actually kind of not just there for the experience, but there's a heightened intelligence to kind of see clearly what's there. And some people feel that meditation, spirituality should be kind of like easy. You know, if you're making effort, you're not really spiritual. Uh, You're not really doing it right. Um, But the idea of, uh, you know, and using your intelligence is a very important part of Buddhism. Uh, The word bodhi, which is usually translated in English, at least, by people as uh, to be awake, also has the meaning of to be intelligent. So to use kind of, it doesn't mean you can analyze and, you know, remember, you're not supposed to suffer when you do Buddhism, right? So, uh, So whatever it means to investigate. It doesn't mean to do something that is, is a burden for you. But I like to think of it as uh, kind of a delightful interest and curiosity and engagement with what you do. What is this? Maybe out of a sense of awe, what is this life we live in? Remember there was a woman who said she, re- she had been on retreat, meditation retreat, and she said, I can't wait to go back on retreat because I want to see if I can see where do thoughts come from? You ever wonder where your thoughts come from? To be right there with a source where they arise? Just to be, to be able to kind of see before the thought arises and then not see the thought arise, but where does it arise from? The occurrence, the arising of a thought? It's fascinating. It's so fascinating that if you're right there, if, you're, if your concentration is sharp enough, you can watch the arising of a thought and because you're right there at the beginning of the thought, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like, a, well, I don't know, maybe different people have a different metaphor for it, but for me, it's kind of like uh, a lake, a surface of water, 
and there's this bubble that begins rising up out of the surface, maybe like a thought bubble, right? That's going to come over your head. So they're going to begin to rise up. But I'm right there to watch the bubble kind of begin to rise out of that, you know, out of the water, because I'm so attentive and right there seeing that and leaving it alone. It um, it, it uh, relaxes and goes back in the water, it, or just kind of dissolves. And what's what's fascinating about that is that um, if I'm at my 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 mindfulness is that strong, um, I'll never know what that thought was about. And the idea that a thought begins offline, what does that say about you? <laughs> who's having the thoughts? Where do they come from? You know, who's in charge here? If you're not, you know, if your thoughts begin kind of like offline in your brain, you know, in your mind, and they just arise, and where do they, you know, where do they come from, and what is this, and and what is it that's what is it in the computer? What is it in the brain or the mind that's processing and thinking and figuring to allow a thought to arise that somehow is not part of your conscious awareness? Not, not even a choice on your part. It's arising by itself. Just the arising of thoughts. So it'd be fascinating, off, and kind of like, I'm, what is this experience? What's an emotion? What's a sensation? What's a sound? To really feel it, to investigate it, to be there. And then the effort part is to really be engaged enthusiastically with the experience, to, with the practice, to have some uh, not burdensome or striving or tense effort, but uh, you know, I don't know if I don't know if playful is the right word, but um, but you know, you know, like this, yet you want to do this. You're curious. You're interested. Out of interest, out of interest comes engagement that you want to do it. So the joy arises out of those three things: that way of being mindful, that way of being investigating or seeing more clearly what's there, being curious and interested, and out of certain kind of engagement with your experience. You really, that's what this is what you want to do. When you have those three in place well, then um, there are five things that uh, recede, that are not there, part of the monkey mind that don't happen, that get you distracted and caught up. And that is you're less likely to, or not going to be caught up in uh, sensual desire, sensual fantasies. It's just, you know, you can, the mind's not going to go there if you have the first three going, going well. You're not going to be involved in hostility and ill will and thoughts of aversion. You're not going to be involved in rest, in sloth and torpor. The idea of res, uh, resistance and lethargy that comes from that resistance doesn't arise. And there won't be restlessness and agitation and remorse that goes on. And there won't be any doubt. So when those five forces, they're called the five hindrances, are no longer grabbing your attention, preoccupying you, getting you caught up, um, that feels really good. And to know the mind is not... I mean, the language that the Buddhist tradition gives for these five hindrances, these five ways of getting caught up in these topics, um, are, is pretty powerful. Uh, sometimes they talk about the language like being enslaved by, by these things, being caught up in them. Uh, in English, we talk about being preoccupied by these, uh, being hijacked by these aspects in the mind. And finally, when the mind is not being hijacked by being pulled left and right and into fantasy and the future and the past and into regrets and doubts and all these things. And the mind finally has the ability to settle and be present and focus in the present moment experience. Just And it's relatively easy to stay there. It, it's joyful. 
it's nice, it's delightful. It's like, especially if it took a long time to get there. Wow, it's so nice, I'm here. And that, that, that's part of this transition into the meditation practice beginning to have kind of momentum of its own. And, uh, and it comes with this joy. And this kind of joy um, sometimes is called rapture. Uh, because sometimes it can be quite strong, like I mentioned earlier in the list. It can be cascading, it can be transporting, it can be uh, suffusing. Um, and it, you know, it's quite, quite amazingly how intense it is uh, at times with people. Mostly on retreat, it gets quite strong. Uh, one kind of uh, fun time I had this kind of, I had lots of uh, this kind of joy when I meditate. Uh, on retreat, I said it could be quite strong. And it was one retreat where I had a lot of it going. And I, I went to the, to lunch, and um, and I sat down at the table with my lunch, and there's something about picking up your fork or a spoon, I forget what it was, and putting it into the food which requires concentration. Not much, right? But but uh, it was just enough because I had so much concentration going. It kind of uh, uh, tipped my concentration over back into uh, the concentration I had on in the in the meditation hall. And, and uh, this shudder or a cascade, uh, is, or, or actually the feeling like a wave of this joy and rapture kind of washed through my body. And it was so intense, I had to put my fork down. <laughs> and then I'd pick up and try to eat again, try to you know, put my fork in. <laughs> oh, that's too much. <laughs> oh, it's too much. <laughs> and then you know, I'd, I'd calm down put my fork down, calm down, and breathe, and then okay, let's try it again. You know, it's kind of, you know, it sounds bizarre, right? That just putting your fork into your food on the plate should be so hard. But, you know, because these waves of joy would be kind of going through me. So, you know, it's, it's going to be quite something, quite a trip. And um, so eventually I was able to eat my food, but it took a while. And um, so but it doesn't have to be that intense, but uh, there is a time when this uh, joy, and when the jo- it's very rewarding to have this kind of joy that kind of grabs you or pulls you or, or opens a door for you or feels like, an, feels like a kind of like a slide that you're on that's going to carry you forward. Or, or, and it's partly there because this joy has this onward feeling or this good feeling because, um, because there's, there's a forces of distraction are no longer operating very much. Or they might operate a little bit and uh, one, one image or sense of is you're, you're pre- it's so nice to sit there. You feel so settled and peaceful and it feels very contented and happy maybe. And then the, maybe the thinking mind begins and you start thinking and it's kind of, you kind of uh, feel like, uh, it's kind of like being swimming. Um, or maybe like happen- I was, when I was a small kid, I spent a lot of time swimming in the water and uh, swimming underwater, so happy. And then you have to come out of the water to breathe, being pulled out, your head comes out or something. So you're kind of happily kind of under the water. And then it's kind of like you, your head goes out of the water to think. And it doesn't feel as good up there. The, you know, the air's cold or something. And so it's so, so good to kind of, you know, go back, sink that back in again. You come out. And so th- th- you're not so distracted. You know, the power of thinking is not so strong that it's, you, you feel yourself kind of emerge from this good, happy, contented, peaceful, happy state. 
And then you kind of let go of the thoughts and you can sink back in again to where you are. Um, there can be uh, w- one image that I taught, as I uh, mentioned about how this sense of well-being can arise when the mind is concentrated in this way, is your insides feel like satin. And it's a very nice feeling inside, just like you know, smooth satin to rub. Or even better is, um, or not better, but another image is, um, um, is uh, petting a cat. And then your cat's on your lap and you're petting the cat and it starts to purr. But when you stop petting, petting, the cat stops purring. So at some point, your innards, as you're practicing and staying in the present moment with the experience and developing a little bit of momentum and concentration and you're not distracted by anything, something, your, whole, your system inside begins to purr. And that's, that's meant to be a very vague word. And you don't actually literally purr. Different people experience this kind of joy in different ways. Um, and it doesn't have to feel like satin. That's just another kind of evocative word. But you're purring. And, you, and then if you come out and you get distracted over thoughts, your inner purring stops. So this kind of good feeling, it's quite remarkable to have this kind of joy because it's a joy that arises independent of what's happening in the world around you. You could, uh, you, uh, all kinds of things can happen in the, wor- in the world. You could lose your job, you could uh, get a promotion, you could... Um, you know, someone stood up, st- stood you up for a date. You could, um, you know, lose all your stocks. You can, someone can be upset with you, or you know, I don't know. All kind, you can list all the kind of things that people in the world want to be. You know, you don't have a new car. <laughs> you know, you, you, you know, you haven't won the lottery. There's all the things that people want to have in the world to be happy. But to have the experience of this profound form of happiness and well-being that's not dependent on the things in the world is quite a powerful lesson to take in. It's a, really a guide for what's possible. When the Buddha was, um, when the Buddha, Buddha had a son, and the story goes that uh, he became a novice monk, kind of practiced within his father's tradition. And, uh, and one story is that when he was a teenager, maybe a young teenager, um, he was out walking for alms, uh, meaning going out walking. The only monks uh, would only eat if the lay people would put food in their bowls. So every morning they go out to get new food. So they were going, going to town to walk around and see if people would feed them, these mendicant monks. And, um, and so I guess they were walking in single file and the Buddha's son was walking behind his father. And supposedly the Buddha was quite handsome and so, you know, he was a, Rahula was just the father's son, so he probably looked a little bit like his father. And so apparently he had some vanity. You know, he was kind of thinking about his looks. Look how good I am. And uh, wearing, and so then um, somehow the Buddha picked that up, understood that. And he said something to his son saying, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's I don't forget what he said, but you know, it's not really appropriate uh, to be vain about your looks. And uh, Rahula took that as a reprimand and he went back home. And then later, uh, someone said, you know, you should go to your dad and get instructions in meditation. So the Buddha then gave him a meditation instruction involving, uh, and one of the reasons, that, one of the things I see about this for, is that uh, the joy of meditation is an alternative to vanity. 
the Buddha, uh, that, you know, so rather than being caught up in how, what you look like, your externals, and your self-identity and what people think of you, you get this inner sense of well-being is not dependent on getting that kind of feedback or how you look. And so you can't just to tell someone, don't be vain, doesn't really matter what you look like. That's very different than giving them an experience on the inside of feeling whole, settled, complete, joyful, a sense of well-being. Within the sense of well-being, so strong, you say, well, of course it doesn't matter what people think. I have what I need right now. The Buddha said that it's very hard sometimes to give up um, essential desire. And so like, for example, one of the strongest ones that maybe some people have is a desire for sex- sexual pleasure. Because the sexual drive is very strong. And, um, and so the, I think recognizing how strong it is for human beings, one of the purposes of this deep meditative joy uh, is to help loosen the attachment to s- sexual or se- sensual pleasure. And it said, actually, it's very hard to let go of some of these drives unless you have all the goodness of this deep meditative joy as an alternative. Because you, then you, 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 then you, it's kind of like an alternative way of having deep, be, having deep satisfaction and happiness and, well, you know, joy. And so you feel, well, you know, I already have it. Why do I have to go get it out of sex or alcohol or whatever, you know, thing that we're trying to get some kind of pleasure out of? So again, uh, instead of thinking you're supposed to just let go of some of these strong addictions we might have, um, uh, what we're offered in this kind of meditative path is an alternative that feels much better. And with that alternative, then it's, you know, have a much, much easier time to kind of find your way and with addictions and maybe not be so addictive. It's not that sensual pleasure in these things are prohibited, but uh, the addiction for them is painful. So you have an alternative. So then, um, so joy as a factor of awakening arises, begins with, uh, or includes mindfulness, investigation, engagement, a wholehearted engagement, a sincere engagement in what you're doing uh, so that it becomes kind of, it's kind of like easy to do or, or like easy in the sense that you, you want to do it or you're, in, you're, you're absorbed in what you're doing. Uh, you're not resisting it and, you know, not, you know, and, and it's not like you're doing it half-heartedly or complacently, just like, oh, I'm going through the motions of being, of meditating. It's like you really give yourself over completely to it, but not straining, not pushing, but out of a kind of a playfulness or joy or delight. And with that delight, with that engagement, absorption with what you're doing, to be absorbed, just doing this thing. You're absorbed in here, in what you're doing. Kind of like absorbed in a, you know, in a sports you're playing, absorbed in a craft you're doing, or art or music you're playing, or absorbed in reading a good book. You're absorbed. You're absorbed in just staying really fully in the present moment. And, uh, and that absorption, uh, for some reason, uh, uh, triggers inside a lot of joy. Some of the joy that comes is uh, the joy, it, kind of, it feels almost like a natural joy that's there, if there's no resistance, no barriers to it, it's not covered over. And if we're afraid, if we're filled with greed and desires and filled with aversion, hostility and regrets and doubts, um, all, these kind, all these kinds of forces kind of cover over in a kind of a natural state that kind of bubbles up and flows through us. Um, and so a lot of this path of meditation is to learn to settle all these kinds of other things 
so that this clean or open feeling of something flowing through us can be a happening that's, that's more wholesome or beautiful. And uh, so this inner beauty can flow that comes along with uh, joy, delight, happiness, wonderful feelings. So in the path of awakening, then, joy is, has an important role. Now remember what I said at the beginning, you don't want to suffer because of Buddhism. So now don't suffer because you've heard that joy is supposed to be part of it and you're not feeling joy. You know, oh no, yeah, gee, this was a bummer of a talk. I wish you'd given a talk on suffering. <laughs> because that I can identify with, you know, that, that I can understand and, you know, and, you know, and that, you know, I can, like, you know, I'm just muddling and, you know. Um, but joy, I mean, now, what do I have to measure myself with? And maybe this is the wrong place for me, you know. I, should, I know that I need to go to Suffering Anonymous. <laughs> this is Suffering Anonymous. <laughs> and um, the, um, I'm Gil and I suffer. <laughs> and so, you know, we're, we're trying to find our way. And, uh, and, it's, and this is a very important part of Buddhism is to feel like a safe place to come with your suffering, to be able to find your way and to be honest about it and look at it. And uh, there's a joy of that, the joy of kind of being really honest and about, you know, here you can be received and held in this practice exactly as you are. And if you're suffering, then you can hope you held that. But still, even so, the path of awakening includes joy at some point. And that this particular kind of joy in the path of awakening arises out of the first three and then, um, and then is a condition for the last three. And so uh, what follows this level of joy is tranquility. So um, this is kind of like, this is where the joy is heading. So um, it isn't like joy is the end. In fact, the joy at some point uh, gets left behind or recedes. And it's a kind of like a way station along the way but it's a necessary way station to move into the next uh, phase of this path awakening, which is a, a deep sense of tranquility or peace or um, serenity that can arise. Uh, there was a time on retreat where I knew there were better things than joy, the strong joy and medit- you know, you know, better things than you know not being able to eat your food. <laughs> you know, this joy, this, this wave-like joy that you know. And so I kind of thought, there's better things, I know. I, you know I mean, I'd had experiences already of it. So I was practicing one day. I was doing walking meditation. And um, this joy started to uh, surface. And, um, and I said, oh, I don't want this joy because there's better things. <laughs> <laughs> and so I started repressing my joy. Like, oh, I'm keeping it down. You know, keeping it down. No, no. <laughs> Ridiculous, right? And um, and so um, and so after a while, uh, I don't know. Maybe I don't know if I was getting a headache, but after a while, it was like exhausting to keep the joy down because it was really began, it was like flowing. It wanted to come out, and so I um, and I find so oh, I, I just let let it okay, let it come. And so it came, and so it came. It's a wave, or probably a wave. I don't remember so long ago now, but it came tumbling out, and uh, I just let it do its thing as I was doing walking meditation and very quickly uh, it moved into the tranquility 
And um, I had to allow for it, for it to go to the better place. And so you can't like bypass it. You have to kind of allow for it in this path that we're talking about here. And, um, and so it's followed by tranquility. And this tranquility, whatever this tranquility is, exactly what it is, is uh, feels even better. It's more satisfying than this joy or the rapture that might arise. And for people who just first experience this rapture or this joy, meditative joy, it feels like this is it. Like I don't, can't get any better than this. But in fact, at some point, it starts getting kind of old. At some point, it starts getting, getting kind of too, too much. Can you believe it? You don't believe it? <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, like an orgasm is good, but what if it didn't stop for many hours? <laughs> you know, after a while, you're like, please, <laughs> stop. And it's not a few people who say that the, this joy, this rapture that can come in meditation is better than uh, sex because of the intensity and, and, you know, it's, and the continuity of it lasts, right? It's just a, so after a, while, it, after a while, it feels like it's too much. And, that's, and at that point, then it becomes interesting to move on. And what feel, what's even better is this tranquility. And that's, that's the topic for next week. The enlightenment factor of tranquility. So, um, so to leave you with something for the week, I'll leave you with this uh, suggestion, a little practice if you want to take, uh, take on. So there's many kinds of joy. So this meditative joy I talked about now is just one kind. There's all kinds of other kinds of joy. But I would like to propose to you that the conditions for you to be joyful are much more frequent during your week than you allow for, than you notice. That you're probably preoccupied more often than necessary. Your preoccupation keeps you to noticing, to enjoying something that's happening in the present moment. Your situation, what's happening, the weather, something nice about the people you're with, the circumstances you're in. So this week, why don't you try and see if you can kind of look around in a contented way in this moment and see if there's things to, that you're, you could, can enjoy with your life, what's happening in the present moment, that you haven't noticed yet. That you're too busy thinking about something else, or too preoccupied, or rushing around. That you're not appreciating the simple, small joys of the, of the moment, of your day, of your life. And see what happens to you if you, for one week, or even one day, or even a few hours this week, give yourself over to start appreciating and enjoying the, the frequent, simple joys that are easily available to you that you haven't taken the time to, uh, to really take in. So if you'd like to do something with joy this week, that's what I, rec- I recommend. Enjoy the simple joys that are just waiting for you if you just take the time to notice them. So, thank you very much. <laughs>